following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Judges 21 and verse 25. Judges 21 and verse 25. Judges 21 and verse 25. Here the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was, no, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'd like to preach on this subject this morning. Who is king in your heart? Who is king in your heart? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look into thy word this morning, God, thank you for the eternal word of God, the truth of God. And Father, we'd pray, God, that you would take this truth and reveal to our own hearts our need. And Father, I'm a man. I cannot do what you can do. And Father, thy word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And Father, we know that it's a, it's a mirror that can show us ourselves. I pray, God, that you'd work in each and every one of our hearts. And Father, that you would reveal to us truly who is king in our heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as we're talking about who is king in your heart. You know, here in our text we find <clears throat> the summation of the whole a period time of the judge, the book of the judges, and that which leads up to the eventual <clears throat> choosing of a king, like every nation, Israel would eventually be choosing a king. It's a spiritually dark time uh, for Israel. It's a time when they were up and down and up and down. They had high peaks and low valleys. It was not a great and blessed time at all. And yet, it's funny because all of this was happening in the face of all that God had already done for Israel in Exodus 14. If you look there with me, Exodus 14, <clears throat> and looking at verse 13, Exodus 14, and looking at verse 13, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, now their backs are against the wall, if you will, their, their back is against the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea, the Red Sea, <clears throat> something that they were not going to be able to uh, cross without the help of God. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Now, God had brought Israel out with a mighty hand. God had done uh, to a nation, the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time was Egypt. God had brought them uh, low. He had humbled them before the living God, brought Israel out of bondage as a nation. Some two million people or more out of bondage brought them, if you will, through the wilderness to the Red Sea, to the edge of the Red Sea. And then <clears throat> when the Egyptians realized what was going on, they got stirred up and they went after them. They went to destroy uh, Israel there in the wilderness, imagining that, oh, we've got them. They, their back is against the wall. And yet they again had forgotten God. And the Lord says, you know what, don't worry. He said, stand still and see the salvation of God. The same God that had saved them, brought them out of the house of bondage, did deliver them from their enemy forever. God destroyed the, the greatest army on, in the world at that time, 
in uh, the Red Sea. And, and for all of that, we read what we read in the book of Judges. And secondly, the Lord had taken care of them as they wandered in the wilderness. If you will, look at me to Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1. I think there's a Bible in the pew there somewhere, if you can, if you'd like to follow along. Deuteronomy 8 and 1, because we're going to be going through the Scripture this morning. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in the land which the Lord, your, swear, uh, the Lord uh, swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know that, they might, <clears throat> that he might make thee know that that man doth not live by bread only, but by, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Now God had taken them and brought them through the wilderness <clears throat> for 40 years because they had rebelled against him when he had earlier wanted them. He'd sent spies out to spy the promised land and they came back and gave an evil report. They would not believe God, even though God had done so many things for them. He took them through the wilderness and took care of them. For 40 years, he took care of them, watched over them, fed them, clothed them, and what have you. And what about, if you will, <clears throat> the fact that one day, finally, God did bring them through the promised land in Joshua 24? Joshua 24. <clears throat> and beginning in verse 13, Joshua 24, and looking at verse 13. <clears throat> The Bible says, <clears throat> And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, and of the vineyards and oliveyards which ye planted not do ye, do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, <clears throat> and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord." And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, <clears throat> he it is that brought us up out of, uh, uh, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And so here they're making a declaration. God has brought them into the promised land. They've conquered the land. And Joshua's getting old. They've divided the land and they're making a declaration as Joshua has called them to consider uh, their situation. And for all of these things, we find the book of Judges and the history of Israel after this time. And it's not a pleasant history. It's not the kind of history that God wanted for them. And, you know, folks, there are things we have to learn, no doubt. And yet there was a problem in their heart. There was a problem as to who 
was king. And their heart, every man did that which was right in his own eyes because the Lord wasn't, if you will, king in their heart. So we want to talk about this subject this morning. Who is king in your heart? Now, these that the, the Lord is dealing with Israel, why was it that they were having this problem? First of all, they served the Lord because of the influence of spiritual leadership, not out of their own heart. If you look with me to Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, <clears throat> and look at verse 7. Judges chapter 2 and uh, verse 7. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, that, we'll start in verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his own inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. So they served the Lord for a time after uh, Joshua had died and, and the elders that had seen uh, all the great and mighty works of uh, the Lord, if you will. They followed them because it, they followed the Lord because of the influence of spiritual leadership, not out of their own heart. And Joshua had challenged them. That's why Joshua challenged them. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You know, if you will, for God to be your king, it has to be your choice. For you to follow God needs to be your choice, not the choice of even those that you follow in spiritual leadership. If you will, in 1 Corinthians 11, look with me there. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. <clears throat> Here the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest spiritual leaders of his time, great missionary of God, says this. He says, be of followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, on the one hand, he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. But what he's also saying, don't follow me if I'm not following Christ. You know, sometimes people will go along with things and they will follow. And if you will, make God their king as long as there is a strong leader in their life. But what happens if the leader's gone? Will Christ still be your king? Will the Lord still be your king? Will you still go on to follow the Lord? We would hope so. You know, the sad thing is, is that Israel, after Joshua and those elders passed off the scene, were faced with going on and living and choosing whether Christ or God would be their king or not. Whether they would go on to serve the Lord. Look at me to Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> It's an amazing thing sometimes, folks, that, that we profess that the Lord is our king and we follow him as long as there's a strong leader to lead us. But what if this leader dies and passes off the scene? Will we continue to follow? Folks, Israel showed us that there is a tendency for people not to continue to follow the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, here the apostle Paul writing to Hebrew believers that are scattered abroad because of persecution says this to them, remember them which have the rule over. He's talking about leadership within their churches who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. It's important that we have spiritual leadership and that we follow spiritual leadership, no doubt. As a matter of fact, 17 
of Hebrews 13. Obey them. And that's a difficult word, you know, obey. <clears throat> okay, if we have spiritual leadership, obey. What are we really supposed to obey? God and his word. It's important that spiritual leaders give you leadership from God, from his words. And, and listen, teach you how to follow God, making Christ or God king in your hearts yourself. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit your uh, own self, submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Myself as a pastor, I'm called to be a pastor, a shepherd of sheep. And sometimes sheep tend to wander off and get into trouble. Amen. Now, I've never been a shepherd in terms of regular sheep, but I've heard stories about shepherds trying to deal with sheep and how crazy they can behave sometimes. And so it is sometimes that Christian people behave a little crazy. Sometimes they go off and wander off and do dumb things. And when, then when the pastor comes and knocks on their door, they think, oh, no, the, uh, the shepherd's at the door. What am I going to do? Well, you know what? Would to God we'd have enough sense sometimes not to wander. Amen to try to, to establish Christ as king on the throne in our hearts every day. Amen? And we need to every day. In 1 Peter chapter 5, you look there with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Peter writes, <clears throat> The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. A shepherd, a pastor, is to be followed. He is to take, if you will, the oversight the care of the flock, the care of, and spiritual nourishment and leadership in the lives of God's people within the Lord's house and the Lord's churches, and yet sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't, and sometimes they, they act as if they're the Lord over your life, and that's not true. Amen. Not, it's not true that a, a pastor is the Lord over your life. There is one Lord who's to be Lord in your heart, in your life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Not just a man. The problem is, is that sometimes people get themselves into a spiritual mess because they're following a man so closely that when the man dies, suddenly they're not following God anymore. And sometimes it's a problem of that they're only following because of the man. They're not really following God. You know, my desire as a pastor, I'm getting older, and one of these days I'm not going to be here. And you're going to, someone's going to say, Amen, glory to God. <laughs> no. But it's my heart that I'm praying that God would give me someone that would come alongside that I could look to as someone who would take my place. Now, I think the Lord's coming before that, but nonetheless, I'm planning. Because every flock needs a shepherd. They need someone to care for their soul. But I'm going to tell you something. If I drop dead tomorrow, and I could, I could, what would you do? Would you continue to follow the Lord? I would hope so. And you know what, though? I know some would jump ship. 
Some would jump ship. Some would not go on to follow the Lord. You know, some people are waiting for any opportunity not to follow God, not to make the Lord king in their heart as they ought to. The second thing we need to consider as we're talking about who is king in your heart, you know, there are those that follow because of strong leadership and what have you, but when this leadership's gone, so are they, or they're in trouble because of it, because they're not following the Lord. And let me say this again, my job is to teach you how to follow God, to worship the Lord and not a man. You don't worship me, you worship the Lord. Amen. Then secondly, they set aside the scriptures for other philosophies. If you look with me to Judges 21, excuse me, Judges 17 and verse 1. Judges 17 and verse 1. <clears throat> Judges 17 and verse 1 and, uh, or excuse me, verse 1. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursed, uh, and spake also in mine ears, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou, the Lord my son. And when he restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image, and a molten image, now therefore I will restore it unto thee. Uh, yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, there's a problem here. All of what was going on and transpiring was totally against the word of God, the commandment of God, the practice that God had given them in the worship of the Lord. Here, here he is promoting idolatry in Israel. Idolatry in Israel. And let me tell you something. The history of Israel is a rocky road. Sometimes they were idolatrous. Sometimes they were worshiping God. Sometimes they were idolatrous. And folks, you know what? If the Lord isn't king in your heart, something else is. Something else is. Someone else is. And often it's because we have set aside, we have set aside the scriptures for other philosophies. Sometimes we, do, we develop our own philosophies, our own ideas, and we begin to question <clears throat> the truth of God's word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Whether you and I believe it or not, God's word is true, period. You know, somebody said, once said, oh, uh, God said it, I believe it. There, that settles it wrong. God said it, that settles it. Whether you and I believe it or not. And we're answerable to God for that truth. We need to be careful what we do with it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, look with me there. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 4. <clears throat> you know, one of these days we'll stand before God, and you know what? The Lord isn't going to be, uh, uh, is not going to be impressed by what you think. Do you know what the Lord, you know what, how the Lord feels about this? God doesn't care what you think. 
God cares about what he said and what you and I do with what he said. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Now therefore hearken, uh, O Israel, unto the statutes and judgments which I teach you, for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the words which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. You know, there's a lot of people writing books about the Bible, and they've left the Bible in doing so. You know, I don't like to recommend books about the Bible. I like to recommend reading the Bible and letting the Holy Spirit of God be the one who teaches you the truth. And find a good Bible-preaching church where the pastor will teach you, rightly divide the word of truth to you. Amen. But the word of God is so important that he says, be careful about adding to it or taking away from it. He says in verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peel for all the men of the, that followed Baal Peel, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. Why? Because God's just a big bad bully? Who knows better than God what we need and what's good for us? You know, the Bible says, and I love this verse in Psalm 18 and 30, and as for God, his way is perfect. You can't improve on perfection, even as the word of God teaches us. Keep, therefore, and do them. For this is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes, which and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all the things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Folks, <clears throat> look with me for a moment. This is our wisdom in the sight of the nations. And we talked about last week a Sunday, folks, that our nation as, a, as Americans was established and founded by God-fearing people upon the wisdom of God's word. The problem with uh, America, as it was with Israel, is we've begun to set aside the word of God, the truth of God. In Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15 <clears throat> The Bible says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. What's a fool? The Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. And the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. A person that doesn't believe in God, the fool says, you know what? My way is best. And God says, no, your way is wrong. He goes on to say, <clears throat> but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. What is the greatest counsel you and I can get? the counsel of God's word. You and I cannot uh, improve upon the, uh, the perfect counsel of God's word. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. You know, pay attention, folks. Israel began to move away from the statutes and the judgments of God's word and found themselves involved in all kinds of sin and wickedness and trouble that led them into captivity. 
in our nation today, we're finding uh, uh, that our nation is moving away from the truth of God's word and finding themselves into greater and more great and, and, and terrible difficulty and sin. Who would have imagined? You know, I've been saved for 41 years. Who would have imagined, and I would not have imagined 41 years ago, that anyone would be talking to me about the philosophy of gender reassignment? That is the most foolish, ridiculous nonsense I've ever heard of. God in the beginning made them male and female, and you can't improve upon what God has made you to be. You may not like it, but you need to learn to live with it. Amen. And don't go off into to other sins that come because uh, of those kinds of philosophies like homosexuality or any of, of the other nonsense. You know, <laughs> I've talked to many a preacher who were shaking our heads wondering, how in the world do we get to this place? Well, it's because we've set aside the commandment of God. We've set aside the truth of God. In Matthew 15 Matthew 15, and that's not the only problem we have in America. Abortion, the murder of children, <clears throat> and I call them children because even in the womb, they're alive from the moment of conception. Amen. And we're talking about murdering children. And you know what, folks? God's grace is there to for, for those to find forgiveness if they're truly sorry for their sin. There can be forgiveness. But what a terrible thing to imagine children brutally murdered. Now, I'm not talking about brutal murder. I tried at one point to watch a video done about abortion. I couldn't watch the whole thing because it was so brutal what they do to, to little babies in the womb and sometimes partially out of the womb. How do we justify that? We don't. Matthew 15 and 1. And it came to pass, Jesus, uh, came, uh, then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem. This is the leadership among the Jews. Saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Well, that's huge. They don't wash their hands before they eat bread? Oh, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> wow. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, <clears throat> and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. <clears throat> what are we talking about? The Jews were, if you will, God's chosen nation. One of the reasons God established Israel was to show the world that there is a God. He gave them the holy word of God. And you know what happened? They turned from it. Even in Christ, when Christ came on the scene, they could not recognize who Christ was because they had turned the pure religion of the Jews, God given to them, into something that was nothing more than man following man-made traditions, traditionalism. 
You know, folks, you shouldn't go to a church that, that is so focused on human tradition that they've cast aside the Bible. And a lot of churches are going that direction. We've made, they've made tradition of more importance than the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. God, God in Christ, God in Christ said, you're wrong for doing it. And he said it to the leadership of the Jews, his own people. Look at me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> Looking at verse 25. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 25. <clears throat> And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. <clears throat> it says, Wherefore, I take, you, uh, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know, the Apostle Paul taught them the word of God on a regular basis, daily. He says, and he's talking to the leadership among uh, the church at Ephesus in verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I command, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. You know, Paul was so concerned and consumed with teaching the, the whole counsel of Scripture that, you know what? He was also warning them about those who would come in and try to turn them away from the truth of God's word. He was warning them, trying to help them to realize what they were facing, knowing, folks, when we set aside the truth of God's word, we're going in a wrong and a terrible direction. We're going in a direction that will eventually, if you will, if you will kick God off the throne in your heart, if he was ever there. You'll kick him off. In Colossians 2, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, <clears throat> the Bible says, ye have therefore, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now he's going to give us a warning. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says that the, that, the making of book, that the making of books, there is no end. Of the making of books, there is no end. All kinds of books. But the most important book is God's book. But you know what, folks? Many a Christian today is swallowing somebody's philosophy, somebody's idea because they read so-and-so's book. And suddenly, you know what? These books have come up with new lights and new information that leads Christian people away from this book? There's something wrong with that. Something terrible about that. And, not, and folks, the Lord is not 
in that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 1, Paul, as he is about to go home to be with the Lord, he's lived a long life of service for God. He says in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You know, he's about to lose his head. Nero was going to cut his head off for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he did. But he couldn't do so until God said it was time to come home. And he went home through the headman's axe. But I'll tell you something, he went home knowing he'd done all he could do for Christ. But knowing that he was going home, verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, I charge thee therefore, and he's talking to Timothy and those that had labored with him, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. And you know what? Paul was worried about that in his own day. And it was already going on in, in Corinthians, in the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, there were already those that were trying to teach that the resurrection was not true. And other things, the second coming of Christ would not be true. And Paul and Peter and, and, and some of the apostles were already dealing with the fact that people were turning away from the truth to fables, to philosophies that are anti-God, anti-Christ. You know, the Bible speaks that there's going to be an apostasy, a falling away of, from truth as the Lord is on his way. And we're seeing it already in our day it happened in israel's day and because of that the bible we read that there was no king in israel every man did that which was right in his own eyes i'll tell you something do what you think is right and you're going to get in trouble especially if what you think is right is contrary to the bible amen we ought to listen we ought to sift or we ought to take what we think we ought to do and say well now you know what does God say so? Does God say so? You may think so, but does God say so? There's a difference sometimes, and that difference may get you into some trouble. You may find yourself in a bad spot, just like Israel. And you know what, folks? They got to the point where they, they, they said, you know what? We don't want God to be our king anymore, if you will, in Judges 18 and 1, <clears throat> Judges 18 and 1, <clears throat> you know, the Bible says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, any of us could fall. Any of us could, if you will, kick the Lord off the throne in our heart. In Judges 18 and verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel. And in, the, in, the days, and in the, those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day <clears throat> all their inheritance had not fallen out unto them among the tribes 
of Israel, and they find themselves in trouble because of it. But repeatedly, we see that phrase, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel, chapter 19 and verse 1. Chapter 19 and verse 1. It came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning in the, in the, on the side of Mount Ephraim who took him a concubine out of, uh, out of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, if you follow this whole entire passage out, what a horrendous thing happens here because there was no king in Israel. Repeatedly, we find this phrase. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And folks, this is all leading up to something. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, and let's begin in verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old. Okay, here's the spiritual leader again. He made, he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the names of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Obviously, they're not like their dad. They're not. It's an unfortunate thing that sometimes those that follow in leadership are not like those who were gone before. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. You know what? Suddenly, suddenly, now listen, suddenly because they had some bad leadership, okay, we're just going to throw God and all of it out because they had some bad leadership. You know, I don't know a church on the face of this earth at times that it hasn't had bad leadership. So do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Do we throw all the good and all the truth and all the right? Do we throw God out because of somebody who is a bad leader? No. And yet that's what Israel's trying to do. Because, you know, folks, all of this was leading up to the fact that, that God wasn't king in their hearts anymore. God wasn't on the throne in their hearts but the thing displeased Samuel, verse 6, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. He's upset about it. As any, you know, folks, uh, uh, Samuel had been a faithful priest judge to the nation of Israel at a dark time. At the tail end of the judges, the Bible says, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple, God called Samuel to bring light to the temple and to the worship of God again. And now here we are. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You know, the Lord knew what was going on. And you know something, we forget. We forget something. God knows everything. God, the Bible says God beholds the evil and the good. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, I think it's Hebrews 12 or 13, that all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's 4.13, I'm sorry. You know, the, the reality is, is we're dealing with a God that sees all and knows all. And you know what, folks? He's the God with whom we have to do and to deal with. 
It's sad sometimes, folks, when we quit, listen, when we quit listening to God and his word. We quit, you know what, folks, so, so somebody stumbles in leadership, do we cast off God? No. Is suddenly the truth not the truth anymore? Is God suddenly not the good and gracious and, and marvelous God that he's always been to us? No. And yet sometimes, folks, if we're not careful, we'll slowly push God off the throne. And when that happens, we're in trouble. You know, Israel, you know, their first king, God said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And he chose Saul. And if you know anything of the history of Saul as a king, do you know what? He started out good because he was little in his own sight. He wasn't impressed with himself. But after a while, he got a little puffed up and began to obey God according to his own likes or dislikes. And God called it rebellion. You know, we, we need to obey God according to his commandments not according to our own like or dislike. You know, it's not up to us to decide, well, you know what? I'll do, I'll do part of that, but I don't like that other part. God said, do it, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And trust me that I know what's best. Because he does. You know, nothing that God commands us to do is ever wrong for us. It's always good for us. And we'll be blessed by doing it. But when we get in trouble, it's when we begin to say, well, you know what? Oh, I'll do this. But I don't know about that. Oh, that's going, God's asking an awful lot. Really? The Bible says we're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit and your body, which are God's. We belong to the Lord. And you know what? We wanted it so. In salvation, we said, you know what? I want it to be so. And yet sometimes we get to a place where it isn't so. And we say, you know what? <laughs> I don't, listen, I don't want that old-time religion. We sing a song, give me that old-time religion. But do we really want it? Do we really want the old-time religion? Do we want the old paths? Sometimes we don't. You know what? We want the newfangled worship service where we're strumming on a guitar and pounding on some drums and we got, we've got big sparkly screens and we're blaring out all kinds of music and we're singing worship songs for Jesus. And that's a mess. It's a sorry, nasty mess and a sorry replacement for the word of God and the truth of God and enthroning Christ upon our hearts. You know, we, we want to bring people in so we're going to have this, 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 uh, this new kind of service. Show me the great success. Well, we're filling up the pews, but we're not populating heaven. We're compromising truth to get a crowd. Now, I'd love to fill this building up if people wanted to hear the truth of God's word. Now, thanks be to God, I don't sing too hot. 
So people aren't coming to hear me sing. Amen. Or even hear me preach. Because I'm not the worldwide evangelist. But by the grace of God, I would hope when they come into this place that they're going to hear the word of God from someone who has a heart for God in them and helping them. I thank God for the old preacher that preached the gospel to me and preached the word of God to me to help keep me straight when I was prone to being a knucklehead. Amen. 2 Samuel 12. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. David at this point has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's committed murder, though he did not take a weapon directly and kill Uriah, her husband. He sent him to the hottest part of the battle to kill him. That was his goal. He couldn't get him drunk. He couldn't get him to go home. He couldn't somehow hide his sin any other way. David, a man after God's own heart, when he was not going to fort the battle as he ought, was at home looking at some naked woman over the balcony and said, you know, I want her. He took her, committed adultery, and then killed her husband and married her. All against the commandment of God. And when David spent a year or so trying to cover it up, God sent a prophet called Nathan to him and said, Thou art the man. You've sinned against me. Who would have imagined David to do that? In verse 9, wherefore, the prophet says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? To do evil in his sight, thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. God had his number. And you know what the sad thing is? Is that sometimes God has to come down with us on both feet and say, you know what? You're absolutely wrong no matter how you, you tell the story. And it's sad because sometimes, folks, it's easy to find fault with everybody around us and miss our own fault. Now, therefore, in verse 10, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Man, what a sad commentary. A man after God's own heart. What, where was his first problem? Well, first of all, he wasn't being a king. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, when he should have been out going to battle, he was at home. He was at home being lazy. He despised the word of God and then finally despised God. Was God on the throne in David's heart when he did what he did? No. Why is it sometimes that some who are genuine Christians get themselves so tied up in sin that God says is so wrong? Because they've despised God, God's word, and God himself. You, folks, we can't do that and say we're right with God. Because we're not. You know, you and I can try to gloss over our sin. David tried to cover it. 
Who can hide their sin from God? Who can hide their rebellion from God? Who can hide the fact that they've kicked God off the throne? Nobody. Psalm 12. In verse 1. Psalm 12 and verse 1. Here's David lamenting. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, and flatter with their lips, and with a doubled heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Watch verse 4. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own. Look at the last part of the verse. Who is Lord over us? Who is Lord over us? Who is king? Who is king when our religion is just about flattering God and flattering other people and it's vain and hypocritical? It lacks vital godliness. The problem is who is king, who is Lord over you and over me? Romans 14. Look at verse 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. You know, one of, one of these days, every Christian will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for sin, but to be judged according to our service. And folks, you know, the things that we do on the surface that look like genuine service to God may be burned up as wood hand stubble, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And will be saved yet so as by fire, with nothing to show for a life that God redeemed by his grace. We didn't live for him like we like sometimes we even said we did. That we even imagined in our minds that we did. But that wasn't true. And God knows it. Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. Looking at verse 9. Let's get the context here. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every name should bow, and every, uh, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Now you know what? One day, even the unsaved Christ-rejecting world at the judgment, final judgment bar of God will have to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
even though he was never their Lord. They'll have to confess that he is Lord. And he'll sit upon the white throne judgment in, in Revelation 20 and verse 11, and they'll see him. They'll see the print of the nails. They'll see the scars. They'll see the spear, the hole of the spear. They'll know. They'll know with whom they've had to do. See, folks, God wants you to make Christ king on the throne of your heart before you die. And if, as a Christian, he wants you to live every day with Christ as your Lord and your king. But every day, every day you're going to have to get before God and say, God, help me. Please help me to make you Lord today. Amen? Lord today. Who is king in your heart? Revelation 19. Look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and him that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. And his eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven follow him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You know what? I, I can't ride a horse for, my, for nothing now. If I got on one, it wouldn't take much for him to throw me off. But one of these days, I'm going to ride a white horse. I might even have a white hat. Amen? Just like the Lone Ranger. Don't laugh. <clears throat> the armies of heaven, which are in heaven, follow him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth go the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me ask you a question. When did you make Christ your Lord and Savior? Romans, if you will, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Looking at verse 1, Paul writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You know what the, the, uh, the end, the aim, the goal of all the observance of the Old Testament law of sacrifices and what have you It's that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All of it pointed to Christ, the Christ to come. All of our worship, our preaching should point to the Christ who's come and it's coming again. Verse 8. But what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart? That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Well, the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. <clears throat> for, the same, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, you know what? In Luke 18, God gave, Christ gave a parable of two men that went into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortion is unjust or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Folks, you've got to believe that you really are a sinner, hell-deserving sinner. And that Christ is your only hope. And you don't want just a fire escape out of hell. But you want a new life in Christ. And in repentance, you turn from your sin to Christ with all of your heart. And you call upon him by faith, trusting him and him alone with all your heart. That's salvation. When were you saved by the grace, truly saved by the grace of God? You know, that's when you begin to enthrone him. Before that, you know what? You're on the throne or something else. Is Christ on the throne in your heart or is something else? Are you saved or are you lost? You know, just because you pray a little sinner's prayer doesn't mean you get saved. It's with all of your heart you believe, you trust, you rely upon Christ to save you. And you know what? You want a different life. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.